Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A big development in the subway shooting that took place in New York City. The suspect's been arrested. Our reporters on the ground ready to give us the update. The first bus of illegal immigrants arrived in Washington, D.C. today, right near Capitol Hill. Where are they going now? And how many more does Texas Governor Greg Abbott plan to send? We'll tell you what we found. Disney has vowed to put more gay, queer, and transgender characters in its children's content. But do Americans support the move? A new poll says no. And a majority are more likely to take their business elsewhere. This, a unifying issue for many Republican and Democrat voters. Tension in the air after President Biden on Tuesday called the situation in Ukraine a genocide. Yes, I called it genocide. But the term genocide, it isn't just another strong word. Russia warns NATO against supplying weapons to Ukraine. They say they will treat such convoys as military targets. The suspect in the New York City subway shooting was arrested this afternoon. Authorities say he's been charged with a federal terrorism offense. NTD's Jason Perry is at the NYPD headquarters. Jason, can you tell us more about the situation? Sure, Steph. The suspect, Mr. Frank James, was tracked down today approximately 29 hours after the shooting took place. Authorities say someone called in a tip that led police to James's whereabouts in Manhattan's East Village neighborhood. Authorities then arrested the 62-year-old without incident. Here's the police commissioner speaking today. He was taken into custody without incident and has been transported to an NYPD facility. He will be charged with committing yesterday's appalling crime in Brooklyn. We hope this arrest brings some solace to the victims and the people of the city of New York. We used every resource at our disposal to gather and process significant evidence that directly links Mr. James to the shooting. We were able to shrink his world quickly. There was nowhere left for him to run. James is suspected of setting off smoke bombs and shooting 10 passengers on a subway car in New York City. Videos show him wearing a construction vest and a gas mask when he allegedly opened fire on subway riders. Authorities say the suspect left keys to a rented U-Haul van and a credit card with his name on it at the crime scene in Brooklyn. James rented the U-Haul van in Philadelphia and parked it on a street near the 36th Street subway station where the shooting took place. Authorities say the suspect fired 33 rounds from a Glock 9mm handgun which authorities say James purchased in 2011. Police say the gun was later recovered, along with three magazines, a hatchet, some fireworks, and a container of gasoline. Officials say James has been charged in federal court with attack on mass transit, and if he's convicted, he could face life in prison. And that's all we have for now. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Jason. And Texas Governor Greg Abbott is staying true to his word. The first bus of illegal immigrants showed up in D.C. today, and there's more on the way. What happened after they arrived, and what's the plan for them next? NTD's Melina Weiskup was there when they, when they arrived. Here's what she found out. Just hours after arriving in Washington, D.C., a group of illegal immigrants is headed off to different U.S. cities. 
The people boarding this bus were headed to a Catholic charity in D.C., who's helping them buy tickets to travel to their final destinations. Most of them do have family or friends in the place where they really want to go. Uh, we're happy to help them if they want to stay here. Most are choosing to move on. And so we're helping to buy tickets. We bought them food. They were hungry when they arrived. Uh, we have the gospel mandate to welcome the stranger. One of the volunteers told NTD that they're helping because the city says they want no part of this. It's unclear if Texas's governor has the legal authority to transport these busloads of migrants to the U.S. Capitol. And the ones that took up Governor Abbott's offer came to D.C. voluntarily after arriving in Texas just yesterday. When we got to Texas, we had nothing because they had taken everything. We heard there was help and a bus to Washington and there would be someone to facilitate travel because in Texas there is no help. Right on this street is where that first bus of illegal immigrants was dropped off. Earlier this morning, about 30 of them were dropped off right here. And this location is quite interesting. Not only is it right at the doorstep of the U.S. Capitol, but it's also right in front of the Fox News building and the NBC building. And right down the street is Union Station, a popular traveling area here in D.C. where many of those immigrants went to kind of wait and figure out their next steps. We went and spoke to some of them to find out what their plans are now. I want to go to Miami. We don't have anyone to receive us there. We don't know anyone. We are alone. He's one of the few that are headed to Miami tonight. About 18 others stayed in D.C. with friends or family, some now headed to New York. And they tell us their journey was long and rough. In Mexico, they robbed us of everything. The cartels and the police. They took our money, our things. My family stayed in Monterey, as it is difficult to travel without money. I decided to travel ahead and work to send for my family, because my wife is there, my five-year-old son. We started the journey on January 7th. We've been walking, walking, not in a plane or anything, walking little by little. The point of sending them to D.C., Governor Abbott says, is to force the federal government to deal firsthand with the border crisis. This is only the first bus. Governor Greg Abbott says there's now another bus en route to D.C. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. World Bank President David Malpass said on Tuesday that China could become the biggest economy in the world. It comes amid speculation about the stability of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. I spoke with economist Daniel Lacaye to learn more. Daniel Lacaye, chief economist at the Tresses Hedge Fund, welcome. The World Bank forecasts that China will become the world's largest economy by 2030. Is that possible? It is possible, but it is not likely. Uh, what the World Bank is doing is basically just projecting a level of GDP growth that not even the Chinese government estimates. Uh, and obviously, because as the Chinese economy becomes more developed, the level of growth is going to be significantly slower, and that's inevitable. So uh, I think that it's going to be obviously a growing economy, but not necessarily the largest and certainly not the largest in other elements, in other figures that are different than just GDP. Does the Chinese yuan pose a threat to the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency? 
the yuan is not a threat to the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency, and, and anyone can understand why. Uh, the yuan has capital controls, and its uh, exchange rate is fixed. Therefore, the demand for yuan globally is very limited. Despite the fact that China is a very large economy, the yuan is only used in 2.7% of global transactions. So uh, it cannot pose a threat to the US dollar if it remains as a currency that is uh, in which the exchange rate is fixed by the central bank and where there are capital controls because there is no legal security or investor security that will allow people to uh, be comfortable to make transactions on a daily basis in that currency if the central bank or the government at any given point can decide to uh, withdraw or uh, freeze those funds. Why is being the world's reserve currency important for the U.S.? It's important for the U.S. because uh, the because it gives a significant amount of uh, uh, advantage in terms of the financial system, in terms of the access to trade globally. It makes it significantly easier to trade for a country that imports very significant amounts from all over the world. And it's also important because of it, it, it works basically almost as, a, as an invitation card. The, the dollar is almost like uh, the, the signature of the country. And as long as it's the world reserve currency, it is perceived globally as the safest investment opportunity, both as a country and as a currency. Daniel Lacaye, thank you. Thank you very much. In an effort to oppose Florida's parental rights bill, Disney vowed to put more LGBTQ characters in its children's content. But a new poll shows the majority of Americans don't support this direction and are likely to take their business elsewhere. Several surveys indicate that most parents across the political spectrum agree on one thing, letting kids be kids by shielding them from gender theory and issues related to sexuality. And a new Trafalgar Group poll found over 68% of voters are less likely to do business with Disney over reports it plans to include sexual ideas in children's content. By comparison, just 9.4% said they would be more likely to do so. Here's what the poll found. Nearly half of Democrat voters say they're less likely to do business with Disney over its direction. 85.3% of Republican voters and 72.5% of independents. Overall, a majority said they would support a family-friendly alternative to Disney. The poll comes after a Disney executive producer admitted to advancing a, quote, not-at-all-secret gay agenda to insert queerness into children's content. This was said during a leaked staff meeting. Other executives also expressed support for more LGBTQ lead characters in Disney movies and programs. South Dakota's House of Representatives impeached the state's attorney general on Tuesday over a fatal car crash in 2020 that killed a man. The adopted resolution says Jason Ravensborg committed crimes while operating a motor vehicle, which caused the death of Joseph Bover, a South Dakota resident. Ravensburg initially told law enforcement officials that he hit a deer, but later reported striking Bover. The resolution says Ravensburg made several misrepresentations and misstatements to law enforcement and misused the assets of his office. 
And as a result, Ravensburg, quote, lost the faith of law enforcement, the executive branch, and the people of South Dakota. Republican Jason Ravensburg was impeached in a 36 to 31 vote, the first impeachment of a state official in South Dakota history. Dustin Byron Thompson is the third January 6th defendant to get a jury trial. His attorney admits that Thompson entered the Capitol, but blames his client's actions on the former president's claims about a stolen election. In opening remarks Tuesday, attorney Samuel Shemansky told the jury that his client stormed the Capitol on January 6th because he was following Donald Trump's directions. According to Shemansky's argument, his client had lost his job during the pandemic and avidly listened to news about a stolen election. He said the former president encouraged Thompson and other supporters by using his power to authorize the attack. Prosecutors said Thompson can't show that Trump empowered him to break the law. Thompson was also charged with stealing two bottles of liquor and a coat rack from the Senate parliamentarian's office. Florida is continuing its commitment to families with a focus on foster care. Yesterday, Governor Ron DeSantis signed a Senate bill that increases the monthly subsidy for child care. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. Florida is expanding on its effort to invest in the success of children by boosting its support of foster parents. Tuesday's bill, which focuses on foster care, raises monthly payments by $200 for relative and non-relative caregivers, among other benefits. DeSantis emphasized the importance of being a responsible parent. The responsibilities that you have as a parent, um, you are making a difference in the lives of your kids by being present. Uh, you, they are looking up to you. DeSantis also reflected on the bill he signed Monday to invest in fathers. We want to uh, encourage that, particularly to have fathers involved. You see the statistics. When a kid does not have a father present in the home, the chance that they are going to drop out of school, get involved, trouble with the law, commit suicide, almost every negative indicator goes up dramatically uh, when you don't have a father present in the home. Since 2019, Florida has added more than 4,000 foster families across the state. <laughs> for what the governor and everybody else, because I don't know everybody's name, are doing for our children. Carlene Lawson, who has been a foster parent for more than 30 years, is grateful for the new law. The new legislation also ensures that children have access to early learning programs and expands eligibility to college tuition and fee waiver. The secretary of the Department of Children and Families said it will now be easier to recruit foster families. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. President Biden seems to have created a stir after he called the war in Ukraine a genocide. He made the remark in passing while announcing plans to lower energy prices. Your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide in a half a world away. In response, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky expressed gratitude to Biden for what he believes is an accurate description of the Russian invasion. The Kremlin, however, calls the remark an effort to distort the situation and unacceptable. According to the 1948 Genocide Convention, to establish genocide, prosecutors must first prove that the victims were part of a distinct national, ethnic, racial or religious group. This excludes groups targeted for political beliefs. 
Only three cases have so far met the international court's definition. Genocide can be harder to establish than other violations of international humanitarian law, such as war crimes and crimes against humanity, because it requires evidence of specific intent. A Russian diplomat warns that convoys delivering NATO weapons will be treated as military targets once they're in Ukraine. And the Russian Defense Ministry says over a thousand Ukrainian troops have surrendered in Mariupol. NTD's Allison Lee has the details. Russia's Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Rapkov on Wednesday gave a harsh warning to NATO countries supplying weapons to Ukraine. He said, we are warning that American NATO transports carrying weapons across the Ukrainian territory are considered legitimate military targets. The diplomat says Russia's goal is to make it clear to the U.S. and allies that Russia will respond to Western interference in Ukraine. The Russian Defense Ministry announced on Wednesday that over 1,000 Ukrainian troops surrendered in the southern port city of Mariupol. The city has seen some of the heaviest fighting since the war began. 1,026 Ukrainian servicemen of the 36th Marine Brigade voluntarily laid down their arms and surrendered. 162 officers and 47 female soldiers are among the surrendered personnel of the Ukrainian Armed Forces. If Russia were to take over Mariupol, it would be the biggest city to fall since the war began. And the city would connect the Crimea Peninsula with the Donbass region controlled by Russian-backed separatists. The mayor of the city gave an update on Wednesday. The things that are going on in the city now, the fact that Russia destroyed 90 percent of the infrastructure, bombed hospitals, bomb shelters, innocent residents of Mariupol, we believe that more than 21,000 have died. The Ukrainian president's office didn't immediately comment on the surrender. NTD cannot independently verify the alleged mass surrender of troops. Allison Lee, NTD News. Still to come, race cars, old timers, family cars and more. You can see all of that at the International Auto Show starting this weekend. We got a sneak peek. And one of the world's most daring extreme kayakers her quest to become the first to descend one of Ecuador's highest waterfalls. That and more coming up on NTD News. At The Nation Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go wide and just come away with a much richer understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation. Automakers from all around the globe are coming to New York City to show off their new models at the International Auto Show. The exhibit is not open to the public yet, but NTD's Arian Pazdar gives us a sneak peek. If you like cars, this is the place to be, the International Auto Show right here in Manhattan. Right now, I'm sitting in a 670 horsepower Corvette, 0 to 60 in less than 3 seconds. And there are many more interesting cars here at the show. The new Corvette, which doesn't have a price tag yet, sure has its charm. But so do older cars, like these ones from the 90s, for example. The show also has rally cars and retro-looking race cars. This one has quite some sound to it. 
How much gas does it use? No, it's, no, it's zero because it's electric. Fully electric. So as you can see here, it's lifting the hood for us. No gas engine inside, fully electric car. The sound of the car and the vibration is added to give the driver a more realistic feeling. Some brands are going all out to showcase their cars, adding a theater background and a stage. You can also test ride some of the cars to see how fast they accelerate or sit behind the steering wheel of a driving simulator with moving seats. You can also try out one of their electric bicycles or other two-wheelers. In terms of a car for the whole family, I was told some people like cars that go well for the city and for the outdoors. Roof rack actually is rated to sport 700 pounds uh, when the car is parked, which means that you can put a roof tent on it and then you can go up and sleep uh, You know, when you go camping. You don't have to be on the ground or in the mud or anything. The show will open to the public this weekend and is going to run through April 24th here at the Javits Center in Manhattan. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. Elon Musk is in legal trouble again. He's being sued by former Twitter shareholders. They say he waited too long to disclose that he'd bought Twitter shares. They filed for a class action lawsuit in New York yesterday. Twitter shares jumped 27% on April 4th after Musk disclosed his stake. Under U.S. law, investors have to say within 10 days when they've acquired 5% of a company. In Musk's case, that would have been March 24th. The shareholders say the late disclosure meant he was able to keep buying shares at lower prices. Meanwhile, they say they were defrauded into selling at artificially deflated prices. It seems they sold their shares between the time Musk bought and the time he disclosed the purchase. It's not just oil that's gotten more expensive over the past year. The cost of renewable energy is also rising. A new report says that high demand and supply chain problems are affecting the industry. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. Prices for wind and solar energy are rising. A recent report says they've gone up nearly 30% in a year in major markets, with Europe's contract prices rising 27.5% and North America's rising 28.5%. Everything has gone up this year. We've had to increase prices by about 8% just to you know, just to survive. Nick Oman is the general manager of Air Motor Windmill Company, which makes water pumping windmills. Oman says the conflict in Ukraine has pushed up prices and caused supply chain problems. When we find something, we just, we buy, we buy absolutely as much as we can uh, just for fear of running out and, and being shut down. There's, you know, probably a hundred different parts that go into each windmill. Something as simple as one can one spray can of can of paint can shut us down because we've got to have it to, to complete our products. The renewable energy sector had been experiencing a decade of cost declines. Concentrated solar power, solar photovoltaic power, and wind all saw their costs drop significantly in 2020. Now that we've reached the limit of our supply chain efficiencies, it's uh, now it's happening in reverse. You're seeing uh, supply chain inefficiency. Brent Bennett is the policy director for Life Powered at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Bennett says there are technological improvements in the works, but that's a slow process. A recent report says demand for renewable energy contracts has skyrocketed in Europe because long-term contracts can lock in prices before they get higher. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. 
Third-party seller scams are evolving. You might receive a similar product, but it's not quite what you ordered. NTD's Sean Marshall talked to an expert on false listings and fake reviews. These days, you could be scammed on Amazon and never even notice. In a recent article on TechRadar, a buyer thought they were getting a micro SD card for a good price, but instead the card had less storage space than listed, and it was programmed to make your device show more space than the card actually had. I spoke with Saud Khalifa, founder and CEO of FakeSpot, a service that uses artificial intelligence to detect false listings and reviews online. He mentioned how the third-party seller ecosystem can support many fraud issues. So anyone can sign up to become a seller of an Apple product on, on Amazon or different platforms. And unfortunately, we're seeing the same model, the third-party seller model, being applied into Walmart, Target, without barriers uh, to check those sellers that are signing up and selling those fraudulent products. He also explained how it can be hard to catch newer scams like review merging. So uh, reviews about a book will appear on a review for uh, headphones. Makes completely no sense, but because those reviews have been validated by Amazon system, um, they appear on this new listing and they add up to that five star rating at the top. I quickly found one of these scam micro SD cards myself. The only written reviews gave it one star, though it somehow got enough four and five star ratings to not have a noticeable problem. Consumers have to continually upgrade their scam detecting abilities because the more Amazon fixes problems, the more scammers are forced to use better tactics. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And in golf, Tiger Woods may not have won over the weekend, but his presence was a winner for the TV networks following his return. CBS's final round coverage on Sunday averaged over 10 million viewers, which is the highest for any golf telecast since the same day in 2019 when Woods won the Masters. Meanwhile, ESPN's coverage of the first rounds averaged 3.3 million viewers, which was their best Masters ratings since 2018. Woods, after a 14-month absence, was able to make the Masters cut after a strong first two rounds, but struggled over the weekend. Meanwhile, American Scotty Scheffler cruised to victory, his first major title. French kayaker and Red Bull athlete Noria Newman has been a dominant force in extreme kayaking for nearly a decade. Her new film, Wild Waters, chronicles her daring quest to become the first to descend a 100-foot-plus waterfall in Ecuador. NTD's Dave Martin has more. This was Nuria Newman's challenge, to become the first ever to down Ecuador's Pucano Falls. The 100-foot descent would also set a woman's record by nearly 20 feet. Newman is no stranger to the sport, of course. The 30-year-old excels in canoe and extreme kayaking events. In 2013, she was crowned as the Extreme Kayaking World Champion for the first of now three times and has won Whitewater Awards Rider of the Year five straight years. Her documentary, Wild Waters, is a two-year odyssey offering viewers a close-up look at how she started in extreme sporting, her life as a kayaking nomad, and how after a personal tragedy, she went off on the adventure that leads her to Ecuador. And it ends with her conquering the massive falls in celebration. Dave Martin, NTD News. 
Coming up after the break, several California companies are to pay nearly $2 billion in fines for evading anti-dumping laws. The payment is in connection to Chinese companies illegally importing aluminum to the United States. And Father Stu, a new movie about redemption, premieres on Wednesday. We hear from the director about how the movie influenced her and how she hopes the real-life story may bring hope to audiences. That and much more on NTD News. A group of Southern California businesses run by a Chinese billionaire was ordered to pay nearly $2 billion in fines for evading import laws. They're charged for a conspiracy to defraud investors by faking revenue for a China-based company. NTD's David Lamb reports. The Department of Justice ordered six Southern California companies to pay $1.83 billion for scheming to defraud the U.S. The company and its founder previously circumvented U.S. anti-dumping laws by concealing large amounts of aluminum imports. In a Monday statement, the department said the entities conspired with Chinese billionaire Liu Zhongtian and his co-defendants where they orchestrated the bogus sales of aluminum to Liu-controlled companies in Southern California to falsely inflate China Zhongwang's value. Liu was the former president and chair of China Zhongwang Holdings, which is a publicly traded aluminum company based in China's industrial northeast. The DOJ said at the time of an indictment in 2019, Zhongwang was the largest aluminum extrusion manufacturer in Asia and the second largest in the world. Aluminum was sold to U.S. companies controlled by Liu. But the aluminum was disguised by spot welding to make it appear like transport pallets, which are normally made of wood. The aluminum was then stockpiled at four large warehouses in Southern California. The companies involved are Perfectus Aluminum Inc., an Ontario-based business, Scuderia Developments LLC, along with other companies that own warehouses and are ordered to pay the fines. The import fees were imposed in 2011 on certain products imported into the U.S. from China. There were no customers or demand for the 2.2 million pallets imported between 2011 and 2014, and no pallets were ever sold. The DOJ said the companies laundered money for this scheme. The billionaire and several co-defendants were indicted in 2019, but have yet to appear in U.S. court to face charges. David Lamb, NTD News, California. Los Angeles is reporting a rise in a very specific type of robbery follow home robberies. Police say the rising crime might be gang-related. Here's NTD's Cynthia Kai with the details. This is the new form of robbery plaguing Los Angeles. The woman saw thieves driving off with her car, prompting her to chase after her stolen vehicle. The woman is one of an increasing number of victims in LA of follow home robberies. LAPD told the city's police commission Tuesday five follow home robberies were reported in the last 48 hours. This is a circumstance where we have uh, patrons that are in retail establishments, uh, di dining locations, uh, uh, businesses across Los Angeles, it's not any one particular area, uh, but as they go about their day, as they go back to their car or they're, uh, they're on their way home in their car, there's been this uh, instance of where they're being targeted apparently for 
expensive jewelry, watches, uh, diamond rings, those type of, of uh, ornaments. This marks an uptick in a trend of follow-home robberies compared to the 78% decrease in cases in March. Police say armed suspects follow victims to their homes to steal items from them. The police commission reported such crimes peaked in November 2021. LAPD counted 51 violent armed robberies in September and October 2021. In response, LAPD created the Follow Home Robbery Task Force. It has 18 detectives, which includes 11 investigators from the Robbery Homicide Division, four from the Office of Operations, and three from the Detective Bureau. Uh, our work will continue, uh, that the task force will continue its work, as well as additional surveillance resources from our Metropolitan Division, our Gang Narcotics Division, and local area detectives in order to be a set of eyes and ears in our community. Uh, so that we're not just doing follow-up investigations in the aftermath, uh, but we're, that we're prowling the streets. A total of 221 follow-home robberies have been reported between the task force's creation in November 2021 through April 2022. 23 of the incidents resulted in shots fired, injuring 13 people. LAPD believes a total of 17 gangs from South Los Angeles are involved in the robberies but many of them are allegedly from rival groups and not working together. Police are currently investigating the five recent follow-home robberies reported in the last 48 hours. Cynthia Kai, NTD News, California. A movie about redemption and a second chance at life hits theaters on Wednesday. The director spoke about the message of encouragement and second chances that she hopes audiences will feel from the story. figured it out. Yeah, seventh time's a charm. Father Stu is a biopic about a boxer turned priest after surviving a near-death experience. Film director Rosalind Ross spoke with the Epic Times about her experience in making the movie. You know, it was a, it was a very introspective experience um, going on this, trying to go on the journey with Stu as best I could. Um, and it was a real lesson in humility and surrender. And I think I, I owe him a great deal for teaching me a little bit about those things. Actor Mark Wahlberg stars in the role of Stuart Long. The film tells the real life story of Long, who was a boxer and an actor. After Long got what he felt was a second chance at life, he spent the remainder of his life working as a priest. He was really just a guy who was searching for purpose in his life and trying to find the hope in a, in a hopeless situation. I'm praying for you, Bill. Don't you dare. You're violating my rights. Mel Gibson joins Wahlberg in the cast, playing Stu's father, Bill. Ross said she hopes audience members can feel the same inspiration and self-redemption that Stu brought to people around him. If it could only accomplish one thing, I hope it would be imparting the message to people that it's never too late to change or to redeem yourself. Father Stu hit theaters on Wednesday. The release was set to fall during Holy Week. Texas will no longer inspect all commercial trucks coming in from the Mexican border. Governor Greg Abbott came to an agreement with Mexican Governor Samuel Garcia today about the border with Nuevo Leon. In return, the Mexican governor has to increase security policies on his side of the border. 
And since Nuevo León has increased its security on its side of the border, the Texas Department of Public Safety can return to its previous practice of random searches of vehicles crossing the bridge from Nuevo León. The effect of this will be that the bridge from Nuevo León and Texas will return to normal, effective immediately, right now. The agreement modifies Governor Abbott's decision to inspect every commercial vehicle at the border. The policy met with backlash for causing serious backlogs for commercial trucks and badly impacting businesses. Staying in the Lone Star State, as schools and businesses across America are facing employee shortages, one Texas school district is doing something to attract teachers going to a four-day week. Here are the details. While some people look forward to having a three-day weekend, one school district in East Texas will have three-day weekends every weekend. The Jasper Independent School District will be going to a four-day week starting in mid-October for the 2022-23 school year. District Superintendent John Siebold told ABC's Good Morning America that the new schooling model was brought on in part because of teacher burnout, which was further exasperated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Siebold also said that the length of the school day will not be extended and the new school calendar will meet the required minimum of 75,600 minutes that districts must operate. Teachers will also receive $3,000 as part of additional retention incentives. Siebold said, where we used to post a job and get no applications, now we're getting multiple applications for every position, so it's kind of worked so far. Coming up, the U.S. Secretary of State says the Chinese regime continues to commit genocide and crimes against humanity in Xinjiang province. And a French Senate committee is looking into testimony by a thousand women on side effects of COVID vaccines, including a loss of periods and even infertility. That and more after the break. Navigating a world of economic madness. What did today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. According to U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, the Chinese Communist Party continues to commit genocide and crimes against humanity against the Uyghur ethnic group. Those remarks coincide with the release of an annual report about human rights in various countries. Kevin Hogan from NTD News Today has more. The Chinese government continues to commit genocide and crimes against humanity in Xinjiang against predominantly Muslim Uyghurs, among other minority groups. Blinken made this statement as part of a briefing marking the release of the newest edition of an annual report. It's called The Country Reports on Human Rights Practices. The State Department publishes it to cover human rights issues. It includes details on 198 countries across the world. Blinken asserts that there is a recession of democracy happening in the world, and he said what the Chinese regime is doing is a key example of growing authoritarianism. 
That is what Blinken calls its mass campaign of repression and genocide against the Uyghurs. The report also described the CCP as an authoritarian state, and it said religious and ethnic minorities are still being persecuted in mainland China and other territories that the regime occupies. And speaking of China, a new report outlines attempts to undercut U.S. space efforts. The Defense Intelligence Agency published the report. It describes how China and Russia would try to counter the advantage the U.S. has in space. A defense intelligence officer explains why. Russia and China, our primary strategic competitors, are taking steps to undercut the United States and our allies in the space domain. Both nations view space as a requirement for winning modern wars, especially against Western nations, and look to prove themselves as world leaders. A defense intelligence analyst also points to the two countries' combined assets in space. He said they've grown about 70% in only two years. He outlines their ambitions. Both nations seek to broaden their space exploration initiatives together and individually uh, with plans to explore the Moon and Mars during the next 30 years. Uh, and if successful, these efforts will likely de uh, lead to attempts by Beijing and Moscow to exploit the Moon's natural resources. What's more, he said that Moscow is now developing a missile that is able to destroy satellites and space vehicles. One of Apple's major iPhone suppliers has been forced to shut down operations in Shanghai. NTD's Don Ma brings us more. China's lockdowns could now be affecting iPhone production because more than three-quarters of all iPhones are manufactured in China. This could be a risk for Apple if a manufacturing facility were to shut down. Pegatron, for example. On Tuesday, the major Apple iPhone supplier said it's stopping operations at its only two factories in Shanghai and Suzhou. Pegatron makes around a fifth to nearly a third of all iPhones. Business lecturer Jeff Hook at Johns Hopkins University says this could affect the output of iPhones. Pegatron is one of their bigger manufacturers slash suppliers, so that's going to affect the number of phones that Apple can produce. It's exactly hard to say. We don't know how long the shutdown is going to last. If the Pegatron shutdown does affect iPhone production, the next iPhone could be more expensive for you. Many time there's a shortage of a product and the demand doesn't change, being the price is going to go up, unfortunately, for consumers. Apple likely won't move its iPhone manufacturing out of China, says Hook. Expenses would have to go up 15 or 20 percent, you know, if they were to make the phone in, in, in America instead of China. Other than Apple already having the infrastructure in China, the wages there are much lower than the U.S. Don Ma, NTD News. In France, around 1,000 women have submitted testimonies to a Senate commission investigating the side effects of COVID vaccines. The women say they're suffering severe health conditions, including internal bleeding, the disappearance of menstrual cycles, and even infertility. NTD's France correspondent David Vives talked to the founder of an advocacy group that aims to expose these issues. Melody Ferron says her periods have stopped since she had the COVID vaccine. After witnessing similar cases in her environment, she decided to create an Instagram account to give a voice to women who suffer from unusual health conditions following the jab. 
As of today, she has received around a thousand testimonies. I have examples of women who have not had their cycles for over nine months. We have very precise medical reports on that. A lot of parents also call me in a panic about their daughter's menstrual problems. She registered these testimonies as evidence with the Senate committee investigating the vaccine's potential side effects. We were heard by the Senate as part of an inquiry into the side effects to bring up the importance of the dramatic impact that vaccination can have on fertility. Many women can no longer have children. There were cases of heavy menstrual bleeding or the complete absence of periods. Her lawyer, Jan Protat, says the changes to women's menstrual cycles are some of the most serious she has ever encountered. There are 137,000 reports of side effects in France. Among them, the fifth most important is menstrual disorders in women. A total loss of menstruation, young girls who no longer have their periods, whose breasts wither, and women who lost their fertility completely. According to France's national agency responsible for the safety of medicines, authorities have recorded more than 110,000 adverse reactions to COVID vaccines. 24% of them are very serious. But the agency denies there is a link between the jab and menstrual changes. Protat says health authorities haven't looked into this issue properly. Earlier this month, Protat participated in a meeting with a gynecologist, Laurence Kaiser, and member of the European Parliament, Virginie Joron. Kaiser says these are conditions she's never seen before in her patients, and that scientists seem to not want to recognize what's happening. According to a study on the monitoring of adverse reactions, only 5 to 10 percent are usually reported, which makes it more difficult to know the scale of the problem. On top of that, Protat says it's a taboo topic. This is something unheard of in France and even the world. Hundreds of people are calling my office to sue the pharmaceutical companies. I do not understand why the French authorities are turning a deaf ear to the call of women. She says authorities shouldn't have made the vaccine mandatory to minimize the risks of side effects. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Coming up, as Easter approaches, one chocolate maker in the UK is taking a sustainably sourced approach to crafting chocolate eggs. And the world's oldest gorilla celebrates her 65th birthday at the Berlin Zoo. Zoo staff say she's somewhat of a legend there. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. As Easter approaches, one UK-based chocolate maker is pushing for a different approach to celebrate, making chocolate the best way possible from bean to bar and sustainably sourced. Here's NTD's Neil Woodrow with more. Easter is almost here and supermarket shelves are stacked high with chocolate eggs. But one UK company is taking a very different approach. Based in Falmouth, southwest England, Chocolata started as the passion project for Mike Longman, a former pastry chef and founder of the brand. It is one of a handful of bean-to-bar chocolate makers in the UK. We make chocolate. It's a, it's a pretty simple job. When you write it down on paper, we make chocolate. But to add infinite complexity 
we make chocolate the best we can without any compromise. For Longman, a no-compromise approach means a stringent commitment to ethical and sustainable practices. Chocolata's process begins with sourcing organically grown beans from single estate family-run plantations based around the world. The beans are roasted and go through specific stages of processing to develop the chocolate's individual flavor before being left to mature for at least 28 days. The chocolate is then tempered and crafted into bars and eggs before being wrapped in plastic-free packaging. But actually we want our machines um, that have made chocolate perfectly in the past to do exactly the same for us. Um, talking about our roaster that's about 100 years old, um, it's obviously served its purpose brilliantly well and we want to continue its life. Their products are sold at markets, Chocolada's own shop, as well as in high-end department store Selfridges in London. This year, Chocolada is launching an egg flavoured with recycled orange peel from a local beach cafe and cocoa beans from a rainforest preservation project in Sierra Leone. We create a an uncompromising Easter egg in every way that we can. It still tells a story of incredible projects, incredible farms, but it's in an almost impossible shape of this balloon of an object packaged completely plastic free, which, which really does give you something to celebrate Easter with. And what do the customers think? I just love their flavors. I love the richness. It's um, very pure and, and you can definitely tell the difference between the flavors. I mean, sometimes people say, is chocolate really different? But it is. The eggs cost up to £26 each for customers willing to pay for the company's ethos and the taste. Neil Woodrow, NTD News. And another eco-friendly news, could the future of housing be living inside pods? One engineer has created a system of modular spheres, which he says are a sustainable and affordable way to build homes. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. This configuration is set up as a two-bedroom apartment, complete with living areas and a dining kitchen. But the original inspiration has more humble beginnings. The Conquer um, originally started with a tree house for my children. And um, they wanted a, something like a shed in our trees. And there was no way I was going to build a shed. So we decided that we were going to, between us, that we were going to build a ball or a sphere. Jag Verdi's idea has evolved considerably since then. He's a former luxury vehicle and aerospace engineer and has used his expertise to create a more environmentally friendly way of living. Materials are lightweight and sourced locally, reducing the amount of energy and carbon miles required for construction. Verdi has engineered them to be energy efficient to live in too, with insulation and a heat recovery system that provides warm or cool air depending on the season. The Conquer allows us to put enough insulation all the way around it to minimize energy usage inside the Conquer to between 500 to 750 watts, so we could run it on solar panels. One Conquer, fitted with underfloor heating and electrics, cost $38,000 plus tax. But for Verity, the real beauty of this system is its adaptability. Conquer Living has built 39 Conquer pods so far. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Today is the 65th birthday of Fatou, the world's oldest gorilla. Sunny skies and spring temperatures made for the perfect celebration at Berlin Zoo. Let's take a look. 
At this age, the Western Lowland Gorilla is what Berlin Zoo calls almost something of a legend. Gorillas living in the wild have a life expectancy of about 40 years. And at 65, she has been the world's oldest living gorilla for a while. 65 is absolutely extraordinary, and that obviously needs to be celebrated in style. Fatu was given a birthday cake made of boiled rice and curd, vegetables, raspberries, and blueberries. According to Berlin Zoo, western lowland gorillas are an endangered species after their natural habitat was continuously decimated. Fewer and fewer animals live in the tropical rainforests of Cameroon, the Central African Republic, Gabon, and the Republic of Congo. Gorillas are the largest ape species, weighing up to 440 pounds. They typically eat between 30 to 40 pounds of leaves, grass, bark, and fruits. In addition to Fatu, there are five other gorillas living at Berlin Zoo. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.